welcome to Performance Talks, a new sports performance podcast by two British guys living and working in China and working in high performance. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is our very first episode of the podcast. Um, we're getting to grips with how to use the software. We've just been having a few technical problems. So uh, as we go, if we make mistakes, give us a break. It is our first go. Uh, we'll try and get better. Um, I, my name is Steve Nightingale. Uh, I've been working in China for three years. I'm sat with my co-host, very good friend, and excellent performance coach, Simon Taylor. Hello, Simon. Hello, Steve. Um, it's our very first podcast together. How are you feeling about it? Um, nervous, but getting there. Like I said, the, uh, who'd have thought it would be so complicated? I know, right? right. Uh, it's actually not our first podcast together because we did do a podcast with um, Ron McKeefrey, yep. Big Ron, shout out to him. Um, absolute legend, actually, in our industry. About a year ago when we were working at the Olympic Committee. Um, so yeah, if anyone wants to listen to that, Iron Game Chalk Talk, we were on there about a year ago. Um, we'll probably talk in, in the future about Ron and uh, Rudy and the guys that play and our relationship with them. It was pretty good. So um, a little bit about how the, this podcast has come about. Simon and I are both avid fans, listeners to podcasts. Uh, we'll probably name drop lots of them as we go. Guys, um, normally you have an interview style, um, great speaker, and then they bring a guest on and interview them absolutely awesome like i said we spend loads of our time listening to those sorts of things um however as we've gone down the years of working together sometimes we're on the same contract sometimes we're in different contracts um we're often on the gym floor or in coffee shops just talking about performance and so many times we've sat and said oh we should record these as podcasts so uh yeah that's pretty much how it's come about um, just to give you a breakdown of what's coming up on this one, we're going to have three topics to talk through, um, pretty much just our experiences, anecdotes, um, thoughts on things coming up. So we'll talk about real world constraints of coaching, um, people judging other coaches, whether that's in person, social media or whatever, and then a little bit about movement screening. So since it's our first podcast, it's good to introduce ourselves and you know who we are and what we've been doing. I'm going to hand over to Simon uh, to start us off with uh, what he's been doing, what he's going to be doing, and probably looping all the way around to how you got involved in the industry. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for the introduction. Yes, yeah, uh, been a, a good few years that we've been living and working together in China, and as like. As you said, it's uh, something that we've often talked about doing a podcast, and I think the one that we did with Ron really made us uh, think about doing our, our own one and putting some of our thoughts out there. So I do hope that you enjoy listening to our conversations. A um, little bit about myself, I obviously we're both um, from the UK originally. I came through a fairly um, typical route of doing a sports science degree, um, trying to work in the UK, which is sometimes difficult. I was working in... Uh, in a high performance tennis academy, part of the LTA's high performance structure. We went to um, the National Tennis Centre in Roehampton a lot. Um, but on the side of that, also trying to do some personal training and, and other things to actually make up the uh, make up both the hours and the, 
the um, finances needed to actually live in um, live in West London. Uh, eventually, my wife and I decided to move to Canada. I spent about five years living in Vancouver, working at a um, multi-sport performance center, um, typical of the North American model, more of a privatized model where we'd see a lot of athletes, uh, high high performance elite athletes coming in for their summer training as well as all year round youth development athletes and local athletes from the community. And it was from there that I took the leap to actually moving to working in China. Um, and yeah, we've spent the last few years working here, working for a few different organizations, again, private companies with uh, contracts to provide performance and rehab services to Olympic teams. Then you and I work directly for the Olympic Committee. And again, now we've, we've taken different paths and you're obviously with, uh, with Kunlun now and I'm, I'm again transitioning on to yet another contract over here, which is kind of good because it spurred us on to sort this out while I've got a couple of weeks free. Um, but for yourself, we're trying to get it in just before you go back on the road. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We uh, just finished a six-game home stand, uh, as you said. For guys who don't know, I'm currently working with uh, Kunlun Red Star professional ice hockey team based in China, such a mix, based in China, full of North Americans, playing in the Russian league. Uh, so yeah, we've just finished six games at home. Uh, had a win last night, which was nice to finish off the series. Uh, packed everything up today, fly to Russia tomorrow. So yeah, trying to squeeze everything in at the last minute. Um, just, uh, I mean, obviously I know your work history, probably as good as you know your own work history, but um, let's just go a little bit into the Twist contract, how you came over, because that's how we got kind of connected so let's talk a little bit about twist and you coming over and working with those guys for a bit yes as i mentioned twist is a um, performance center very much in the north american private model of performance centers um whilst working for them i was the director of education and lead coach and we put in a bid that was ultimately successful to provide training and rehab services to the chinese olympic committee um once here I was based out of the, the National uh, Sports Training Center in Beijing, working with the Summer Olympic athletes ahead of the Rio Olympics in 2016. At the end of the Olympics there, we transitioned over to working with the winter sports athletes in the, uh, the build-up to the 2018 Olympics. And that's then where you and I ended up working together as I was with figure skating and you came to uh, work with the short track skating yeah. team. Yeah, short track then. Yeah, it's my second one. I came over in 2016. Actually, do you know, it's going to be three years in a week. Oh, wow. Yeah, three years in a week. Uh, I came over uh, to work women's hockey originally. Uh, in the UK, I was, I was involved in hockey. I was working for the EIHA, English Ice Hockey Association, for four years as their head of strength and conditioning. But it was a volunteer job, as a lot of our jobs are, and um doing kind of camps for the kids and for the women and stuff and mostly i was making money and, and earning as a as a teacher worked at south essex college and university there so uh took took the jump to come and to work full-time in the industry and and you know just obviously took the jump to go five thousand miles away from home and do it in a language that i don't speak so uh take, took the easy path and 
um, yeah, ended up over here and did that contract for a bit. And, and actually, it was weird because we connected when I was with hockey and you were with Figure, right? Before yep. that, before that contract ended, and we never, we never met up. And then a couple of months later, we're working together for Twist. Uh, so yeah, it's funny how the thing rolls around like that. So yeah, it's interesting actually. I want to touch on your kind of coming from a more academic um, background at the time, as we started to collaborate at the COC. A lot of our conversations came from that um, that difference of you coming from a slightly more academic route, having published papers and, mm. and written um, books and, and put a lot out there from a sort of research perspective, and me coming from the applied, um, more applied setting a lot of the time when we were discussing some of the systems and things we wanted to implement. Yeah. That was that was one of the reasons why we wanted to bring in the. Uh, the topic of real world constraints for sure yeah and and god i learned i've learned so much here about the real world of coaching and uh, i look back now on probably some of the things i've taught my students and be like yeah it's not actually how it happens in the real world um i guess just before we jump into the to the topics it's probably fair to say that obviously this start starting off with you and i but we are essentially just going to try and get a bunch of our mates to come on who also happen to work in great jobs in high performance um off the top of my head i'm thinking guys in the uk guys in america guys in china guys yeah. um new zealand, canada yeah for sure so oh, every, yeah, australia and new zealand yeah try to get a, a worldwide perspective on the the struggles and the successes that people face yeah for sure i uh, um, actually mentioned him at the top of this actually was uh, was Rudy Thomas from play so he's he's uh, going to be one of the first guys I really want to get on guy with a very um, he's hilarious very outspoken it has a unique opinion of China so I'd love to get him on we've often talked about we this is this is how long this has been going on that we were talking about this with him before weren't we and saying that we're going to get drunk and record one so that's probably going to yeah. have to be a blooper reel but uh, yeah, definitely Rudy will be number one on the list, I think, to get on. It'll be good. Yeah, for sure. Good. Uh, so, yeah, so like like you said, um, I'm I'm over at Shogang uh, on the west side of Beijing right now with the training center there. <laughs> Brand new facility uh, with the hockey team. Uh, and you've just been there with... Uh, I was working with the Alpine Ski Alpine team, ski. working on a, a return to performance program mm. for one of China's top skiers. Um, as I said, now transitioning, I'm going to be working again with the, generally with the winter sports uh, program. Um, yeah, so yeah. we're both based out of Shogun, like you said, fantastic new facility, being uh, purpose built for the 2022 Winter Olympics here, mm. and part of the legacy program for the Chinese winter sports. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. I was actually went out to collect. Um, our snack or something we, we had a game a couple of days ago went out to grab our snack and uh some of the short track speed skaters were were out and around and i saw a bunch of the athletes i used to work with so yeah it's yep. nice nice to see everybody every now and then you always bump into people you meet so uh yeah so i guess we'll jump straight in then introductions done um to the first topic about real world constraints yep. um really interesting ideas of <clears throat> you know how you think it's going to be, what it ends up being, you know, I've definitely felt this so far. I've been with the hockey team for, I don't know, three or four months now. And 
definitely interesting to see how things have changed and what I planned and how it's all fallen apart. So, yeah, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. I think. Um, and yeah, I I wanted to um to get this one in as one of the first key topics because I think um, a lot of people with within the field, but also people kind of looking from the outside in, or people trying to break their way into the top have this idea that elite sport and the very, very top, everything's perfect and running like <laughs> clockwork. And um, again, like particularly if you come from, say, the, the US college model or one of the private centers in the US, and you're not actually there traveling with the teams, traveling with the athletes. Like for the tennis academy in the UK as well, that was the same for me. I saw the athletes when they came into us, but I wasn't on the road with them. I wasn't traveling with them. So again, your view on what could be done or what should be done is very different from when you actually get in there living with the athletes day to day traveling with them like you said with your travel schedule it's absolutely crazy the number of flights you're taking the amount of time you actually have between games Mm. and everything so it completely changes what is both ideal and desirable from a training plan to what's actually possible and trying to somehow find the the right balance to compromise those two things yeah for sure and ultimately i mean it's probably gonna bleed into actually our next topic about judging coaches but like you say sometimes you're you're doing a lot of guesswork a lot of educated guesswork and and crossing your fingers and hoping it works and and i'm nervous as hell most of the time that thinking i'm hoping my programming is the best way that it's gonna be so yeah for sure like we have huge constraints in the hockey club um, just to give you an idea of this upcoming road trip, we're going to fly tomorrow to Moscow. Uh, so Beijing to Moscow. We'll have a... So today's Tuesday. We'll fly on Wednesday. Um, Thursday will be a practice day. Friday will be a practice day. Saturday we have a game. Sunday we have a game. Monday will be a practice day. Tuesday we have a game. Wednesday... I think we then have two practice days because we have to fly from Moscow to Latvia, play a game. We have one day, we go back to Nizhny Novgorod in Russia, play a game one day, and then play a game in Sochi. So every single day is either a game day or it's the day before a game day. So, you know, when you're looking at your periodized plan and everything looks so nice and you're thinking about which blocks you're going to work on you're not working on any of them it's recovery it's triage it's making sure that guys can do what's best at the time it's so so hard to fit everything in like that so yeah really difficult yeah absolutely um and i i found the same thing working with the figure skating team their schedule was not like yours wasn't quite as grueling wasn't quite as much travel we knew exactly when the athletes would be traveling um but at the same time like if if an athlete has a fall on the ice or there's something technical that they need to work on and they spend more time on the ice like that massively impacts what we're actually able to do and you have to remember like where we as performance coaches fit in terms of supporting the head coaches and the programs that they want to put together and how hard that can actually be when you you suddenly realize you have very little control over the overall program oh yeah massively yeah it's so hard you know like uh you know our sport we have guys um probably doesn't sound a lot to people who don't know much about hockey but our guys our high minute players will play 24 to 26 minutes in a game that's a huge amount of time to play in a very very physical alactic sport 
Um, so the next day, they're super tired. And they probably... We're playing the game at 7.30 at night. They've had tons of energy drinks, tons of caffeine gels. They aren't sleeping till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Up at 9 to go and practice the next day for a morning skate. Like, these guys have no sleep. They have no rest. Their bodies are physically beat up. We've just done... 11 days in a row with either games or practices everyone's tired and you know and we've had this discussion a bunch of times we had a couple of hard losses this time at home where it we had one it was an overtime loss in the last second and i then have to walk into the gym after the game and have a lift with the team can you imagine what the mood is like nobody speaks there's no music on Every, nobody wants to look at anybody else. They just get in and do their work and go. But trying to find those time frames of getting work done, um, yeah. it, 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 you know, I know we have a we have a crazy schedule and everything like that. But it's it's the same for everybody. You just have to know what is able to be done, what can be done. Um, and then I think an interesting thing, and, and you know, you can talk on this a lot, is about we know or we think we know what the best thing is from a physiological standpoint from for our athletes and but then you have to deal with expectations of the coaches you have to deal with in, in my you know environment i've got probably 10 players who have played in the nhl you've worked with olympic gold medalists they've had strength coaches before and they're going to have more strength coaches afterwards they know what good training is and what good training isn't and you have to balance their expectations with what you're trying to do. Absolutely. Um, I found that, you know, with the athletes that I've worked with, some of the summer athletes, like you said, t- the Chinese table tennis team, they've had, you know, really experienced coaches for years before I got there. So you've got to try and match that. They're also coming to you saying, oh, we need to work on this specific thing. Um, okay well I've included some of that in the program but is that do you want more of that do you want less of that like I'm actually trying to build a program around what the individual coaches want what the players want it's not just about me running the show all the time it's very much like a compromise and I think that's a really important thing for everyone to remember is that pretty much everything in life is a compromise but particularly once you get into truly elite sport there are so many different stakeholders involved that you have to be able to balance and compromise things. Oh yeah, for sure. And and like you say, these you know these guys are not. This isn't their first time. They know what looks what you know what constitutes good training and what isn't. Um, I guess to give you an idea, people are, you know people will ask me how I differentiate it. Um, I guess for me, like we lift after a game when we're on when we're at home. We don't do a lot of stuff when we're away. That's another constraint. We'll talk about that in a second, but. Um, I'll differentiate stuff based on the minutes of played. So some of our guys, like I said, will play 26 minutes in a game and some will play seven minutes in a game. Now, they have had different requirements put upon them and so we're going to do different things. And the only the only way I differentiate that, I give pretty much everybody the same exercises within reason for um, ability and, and shoulder injuries mainly <laughs> um, but often it's like okay well you guys are going to do one set you guys are going to do two sets and you guys are going to do three um, and that's pretty much the best that we can do to kind of get some individualization uh, based around how hard they've had to work um, in the games yeah when I, I did something similar with the um, so the figure skating team had fairly 
you know, again, different type of constraints. We had, you know, a dozen athletes who would train at the same time, but they all had different competition schedules. They were all traveling at different times. So we'd have one guy coming in who should be on a, on a kind of recovery day, doing, focusing more on mobility and trying to, you know, take care of themselves as we start to um, move out from one competition and then focus on the next one. Whereas we've got other guys who are just in that window of building up towards a competition. And so I had to try and create a system of different programs where we could say to the athletes very easily, like, right, okay, for you, this is this is the kind of plan that we're going to do. Um, I actually came up with a system that worked really well, given the language barrier of using the um, kind of ski hill grading of like green, blue, red, black in terms of like intensity of sessions. So it was very easy for me to be able to say to the guys that, okay, you're going to do a green day today or you're going to do mm, a red day. Really and that idea. was a nice, simple way, again, with the language barrier to be able to highlight to them the, the type of training that we were going to yeah. do that day. Such a great idea. And I'll be honest, that's one of the biggest uh, benefits that I've had coming away now from working with Chinese athletes to work with mainly North American athletes, no language barrier. Yes. It's oh, so yeah. <laughs> That's a, it's, it's a huge constraint, huge. obviously, but um, I think it makes you better in the long term as a coach. So I think that's been a huge lesson as well, is that that constraint, you realize how much of our communication is non-verbal mm. and how much more concise you have to be and how... Um, you often hear like older coaches single piece of advice to young coaches is keep it simple keep it simple mm. I often think I don't really under I don't think I appreciated that enough until I moved to China and then I was like oh we have to keep it very simple keep the keep the language simple keep some of the exercises simple don't try and change things too much or too often yeah. because a lot of the time when you have these kind of constraints actually the best thing you can do is get the guys in for a very simple lift yeah Get the basics nailed and that's it because everyone knows the routine. Everyone knows what is expected of them. Mm. Like for you traveling on the road, if you are going to get a lift in on the road, it's going to be a different gym, different equipment, all the rest of it. If you've got a complicated plan that requires certain equipment that you have at home, you can't guarantee you're going to have that. So again, you're going to need to keep it very simple. Oh, for sure. I think, you know, that's one of the biggest mistakes people often make or think the higher they go up in terms of like elite levels of performance, they think that their training needs to be more complicated. It needs to be more fancy and we're going to watch Instagram videos and balance on our heads on BOSU balls and stuff. But it doesn't. It absolutely, it's the opposite from that. Yeah. Like my, I had four exercise lift yesterday after the game and we had kettlebell swings, medicine ball slams, trap bar deadlift. Uh, and one I can't remember off the top of my head, but just four real simple exercises because that's all you need. Like, yeah. Do the basics, do them with consistency, and that's how people become great at their sport. Absolutely. And you've got to remember what, um, you know, also what the the training is for at the time. So for, for you, obviously, with the training schedule, you're not necessarily aiming to make gains you're looking to reduce the loss in strength and reduce the loss in speed yeah. as the season goes on and it's a tough season yeah um that's a that's another constraint that we have in our in our kind of programming is not just the the length of the season but 
then you factor in things like the age of the athletes. Yeah. Um, again, I'll, I'll go back to the, the figure skating team a, f- a fair bit in this one because I was with them for a couple of years, but also my last couple of contracts I've been working on return to performance programs, and there's far fewer constraints on that. I have the athlete in for the, the set time, and there's a clear progression. And so um, in terms of constraints, we'll, I'll keep referring back to some of the other experiences, but with the figure skating team, we had very different athletes at different stages of their careers. So I had some guys who are, you know, 18 looking to uh, really try and build a successful career and make their mark. And, you know, in terms of their growth and development, they need very different things. Um, we had athletes, I had one guy who's, you know, 36 and was going to his, um, his fifth Olympic games. Yeah. Um, you know, silver medal back in Turin in 2006. And he, he knows what he needs to do. And his lifts were 20 minutes after yeah. practice. And he just wanted to come in. He wanted me to have the equipment set up. However many rounds I wanted him to do of it. And that was it. He was in, out, done. Um, and, you know, it's very interesting for the, like, a lot of the time, the, the Chinese model here is they want the junior athletes to just copy senior athletes. Had to have a lot of very frank discussions with you know, some of the junior athletes and be like, okay, this is very different. You can't just copy him doing a 20 minute lift and expect to get the results that you need. Absolutely. Um, So how do you, how do you deal with that in terms of your players? Because you've got some guys who are senior players who are, um, you know, spent 10 years in the NHL, maybe spent years in the Russian league or other leagues. So you've got some guys who are the, the sort of later stages of their career who need to be able to look after themselves you've got some guys who are young how do you balance those two things yeah it's it's really really hard because uh you're right we have uh, a mix of guys who are who are very young and they need a lot of work and then we have guys who are older who need a lot of different work for sure um very set in their way some of them and and don't get me wrong these guys are unbelievable professionals they know they need to work and when you tell them it's time to go it's time to go but I think I try and give them a lot of ownership of their program. I try and talk to them and often I'll say, here's, you've got an option. You can do this exercise or this one. Um, you know, one of the constraints in hockey is the guys get beat up all the time. I've got guys with like six shoulder surgeries. So, you know, my programming might be, we're going to do a hang high pull or, a, or a, you know, hang snatch. And I know one guy is not going to be able to do that. 100% but I'm not I, you know that just comes down to a conversation and, and he knows he can't do it and I know he can't do it so we can just talk on the gym floor and go okay well we're just going to switch it to this exercise um, like I said I like to give a lot of um, flexibility to the athletes so some of our guys like to lift before practice some of them like to lift afterwards and I make the option available to them yeah. um, I think I think actually that's a, that's a really key point I think that's probably the biggest difference working at the elite level is like you said there's expectations from coaches and expectations from athletes and if you don't give athletes the the buy-in if you don't respect their experience Mm -hmm. why why should they follow your program Um, when you're working with you know maybe junior athletes or you're working in a different environment they're often looking for looking to you for much more leadership so i think the best coaches at the elite level have to balance that level of um Yes, we still need to be the ones leading and directing the training, but we need to have discussions with the players about what what suits them. Um, I, I'm very keen now on the, the 
difference between individualization of training and personalization of training. Love I think they're actually two different things. Yeah. You, you, you cut on earlier, like you individualize the training by focusing on the minutes played and therefore the, the volume that they are going to need to lift and what they're going to need to do after the game. But then you factor in personalization. Like if I know a guy just doesn't like doing back squats, why mm. should I program a back squat? Because yeah. he's just not going to like me. Yeah, she's exactly. just not going to like me. Because yeah. they're going to walk in every day and be like, oh, I don't want to do that. I keep telling you I don't want to do yeah. that. I, Why are you um, making it hard for yourself? Yeah. Like, don't, there are so many exercises you can do to get the same result. Don't make it hard for yourself. And like you, know, like you, I never want to be seen as a slave to the players. I never want people to think that I'll bow down to sort of peer pressure from the players. But I was literally just having this conversation yesterday with one of our guys. He, he's injured, so we're doing a lot of one-to-one stuff. And he's like, you know, guys keep their jobs, whether it's players or staff or whatever, guys keep their jobs by making the right people happy. And why, like you said, exactly that. Why am I going to have like a bang in my head against the wall moment every day with an athlete because I want them to do a back squat when... They're like, I really like front squats. <laughs> Fine, do a front squat then. It's not going to make a difference. Yeah. So yeah, 100% like that. Person, I love that. Personalization is really, really cool. I think this, um, this links us nicely into the idea of judging other coaches because mm. um, like I, I had this, you know, I've had this constraint with a few of the athletes here. Um, one being the, the skier that I was just working with until recently working just one-on-one with the same athlete every day, sometimes twice a day, can be a lot. It's, you know, there's not a lot of variety that we can do. When we're doing a return to performance program, it's, you know, you're going to be in the gym the same time every day, the same kind of routine. There's a lot of structure there. And particularly for an athlete from uh, an alpine ski background, he's used to traveling the world, being on a mountain, skiing at 150 kilometers an hour, like living on the edge, literally, it's a dangerous sport, which is why he, which is why I was working with him because yeah. he smashed his leg. Um, but that leads to all sorts of other constraints because um, he, you know, he had a certain personality, and he there were some things he very much didn't like, some things he liked. He didn't like it to be too monotonous, so he got bored if I did the same thing too often. Um, so again, I'm coming up with different ways to try and keep him happy whilst keeping him moving forwards in the direction that we needed needed to yeah um this is why i often say i I get very annoyed at the idea of judging other coaches when you don't understand their constraints yeah um and this is why we kind of wanted to talk about these two things together because Mm. you can't if you only see a snapshot of someone's training you have no idea what constraints that coach is under, what that athlete likes, what they don't like, where the athlete has come from. Um, you can see someone and their form might look a little bit sloppy, but you actually don't know. Maybe they've made huge gains in the last two weeks and, yeah. and actually that's the best they've ever done it. Yeah. Or maybe that is, an, that is something where the athlete and coach have perhaps had an argument and the athlete has just gone, no, I need to do this. This is an exercise that I need to do. Yeah. And you've gone, okay, if we're going to do it, I'm just going to watch so that it's safe. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. I'm I'm going to have to bow down, and because otherwise, we're not going to have that um, that rapport, and you're not yeah, going to buy into the other part of the program that I want. Like you said, it's yeah. so much more about having having a good relationship to be able to get the buy-in to do what you want to do ultimately. Yeah. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, and yeah. you can concede on one small part if you're going to win win the longer battle, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and again, some of it is change takes time as well. Like a lot of people come in and think, "All oh, right, well, we're going to do this instantly." And like, well, no, okay, maybe we maybe we need to change your program over time. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I've really found is a both a constraint, but something that's really taught me not to judge other coaches here in China. There's a, a lot of movement. People move around a lot. Oh. You know, someone may have come in halfway through a season. And so when you're working with guys at this level, they have a routine and, and certain things that they like to do in the build up to a competition or, or, you know, as a part of their general routine, you can't go changing those things mid season. Yeah. You're going to have to just gradually drip feed the change and hope for small improvements over time. Yeah. And when you look back and you've been with a team for a couple of years, you can actually look back and go, oh, actually it looks totally different now how it did two years ago oh yeah 100% um, great example of that like so coaches will probably go mad at me when I say this but um, on our game days on our when we have a, a 7.30pm game I don't run a team warm up uh, if I I can I know right now if I went in and said to all of the guys we're going to run a team warm up it would just be a deathly silence and everyone would just say no no we're not like it's just not going to happen they have no issues with team warm ups on practice days and I use those times to address prehab stuff to do shoulder mobility work to do all the things that I need to do but when it comes to a game day these guys are very particular as all elite athletes are because that's how they become elite athletes they're all very very individual they're all superstitious they want to do their own thing so coaches might look at my program and be like oh my god I can't believe you don't do a, a you know a warm-up with the team no, of course I don't. Like I, that would be the worst thing that I can do. I have three or four players who want individual warm-ups, and I do individual warm-ups yeah. with them. And I've done some education because, to be honest, twelve of our guys would just play two touch for thirty minutes, and it's not preparing them. Um, so I've done some educational sessions and been like, hey, like play two touch, but do you know what? When you're out, let's just do one of these exercises and trying yeah. to build it. And yeah, over this season and maybe next season, those warm-ups are going to change. But, you know, it, it, it's funny. It goes back to us being at the Olympic Committee. We had that office in the building of the National Training Center. It was mirrored glass. So we would sit inside and you could see the gym floor. And we had 50 or so strength coaches working for us directly. We had a bunch of other teams in there with privately hired strength coaches from abroad we had a bunch of teams with Chinese strength coaches and we'd know you know we, we'd be sitting in there sitting there me and you and other staff members doing some work or whatever it's so easy to look out of that window see a guy doing an exercise and and everyone in that room's like oh my god I can't believe they're doing yeah. that <laughs> and and we're just as guilty as anybody else yep. and it's really easy to fall into that without taking that time yeah. to give them the benefit of the doubt and be like, oh, I wonder why they're doing that. Yeah. Joe, it, that's what really annoys me about social media. We'll get onto social media yeah. at the end, but it, but absolutely, yeah. so many people trying to make a name for themselves. And, you know, just today, literally 20 minutes before recording this, um, there was a post on LinkedIn by Mladen Jovanovic, great, great strength coach, very well respected, he was talking about a Charlie Francis post, another absolute legend. And there's 
some guy from who knows where just just like pipes up in the comments of like, oh, I really think actually you need to change this. You're like, uh, respectfully, <laughs> I think most of the world are going to disagree with you. But but you still don't yeah. know. Like maybe yeah. that works for him in his situation, doesn't work for other people. So. Absolutely. I, I think that's the, the key thing to it, I think, is um, one, I think we all need to be much more open to like learning and sharing from from each other um trying to understand the kind of the the constraints and the backgrounds that have led people to choosing the things that they want to do and um like you said not you know we don't need to negatively jump in there and and criticize people for what they're you know for their rationale or for what they're doing I think it's much more respectful to maybe ask a question for sure and yeah. ask for more explanation or something like that. But, but also to respect that, you know, there are multiple ways of doing them and ultimately none are, none are right. Um, <laughs> our job doesn't actually work like a flow chart as much wow. as certain people would like it to. Yeah. Um, it isn't like that. We're, you know, we're not dealing with machines. We're dealing with humans and you have to get something out of them and sometimes one one system will work for one person at one time in one environment but it yeah. won't necessarily work again 100%. or it won't work for somebody else yeah um so yeah, absolutely right yeah like yeah i go back to that quote like everybody you meet knows something that you don't know you know take that on board when you're watching somebody coach have a conversation with them uh, and and yeah you just you just never know be open to to listen to them i've i've learned stuff from athletes like, yeah. funnily yeah, enough, it, it, here's a story. So, you know, uh, like you take a TheraBand and do internal and external rotation yeah. exercises, right? Standard shoulder warm up for anybody out there. And so I'm giving them for the guys and I'm like, okay, we'll do internals. All right, now we'll do externals. And I'm looking at one guy and on his left hand, he's doing internals and on his right hand, he's doing externals at the same time. And I'm like, that's pretty smart. <laughs> I've never seen that done before. <laughs> I'm just Your looking. windscreen wipers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? And I'm yeah. just like, I've never seen that done before. That's brilliant. Like, why am I wasting half of my time in a warm-up? So, like, even athletes yeah. who, who don't even know what they're doing, because they're, that's just what they've been told to do, yeah. are, are teaching me things. So, oh, yeah. All so the, happy to All the time, like I think that. you can, you know, you learn as much from those around you. You're, you learn more from those around you. That learn more from... Going over and chatting to a coach, yeah, and and maybe asking them about their program rather than you know going Sitting behind back their back and, judging, and just yeah. and judging them. Hundred um, percent. Yeah. I'll be I'll be very honest. This is one of the reasons why I know we're going to share our um, social media links in the end, but I don't post a huge amount of work content on there because I don't want the negativity coming yeah. coming back. Yeah. Um. I'm I'm very content in what I've done and what I've achieved and what I've done with the athletes. But that's one of the reasons I think you and I both agreed we'd rather. We prefer the podcast format because you have a chance to actually explain for sure what you've yeah. done and why. Yeah, I'm also too busy actually coaching in the gym. You know, <laughs> not having to dig at anyone, not having yeah. to dig at anyone. But yeah. I'm busy coaching in the gym. I don't have time to go and set my GoPro up and yeah. uh, and do that. So, but again, that, that does that. I mean, that raises a good point because we're obviously in in a position where we're with you know the one team full-time and that's our that's our contract that's our job yeah we're not out there trying to promote ourselves or get you know multiple part-time contracts or we're not in a private center where we're trying to attract athletes sure. so again this is another reason why we you know want to really steer clear from complaining about the social media coaches who 
fair to them, if they're running their own business and they're running a private job, who are those posts even for? They're not actually for other coaches most of the time. They're to try and attract potential yeah. clients, potential athletes. They're there to draw business in to promote themselves. So they have to post things that are going to draw the attention of the people that are going to be their customers. For sure. So again, that's another that's another difference in the, you know in the approach of what we're doing. And so I think for us, that's why we, you know we want to steer clear of any of that negativity around social media, and we prefer the podcast style. I think in terms of sharing information. Yeah, for sure. Let's uh, let's just move on. We're going to try and keep this to forty-five minutes or so. So we jump into the last one: movement screening. Um, our take on it, everything about it. Um, it's controversial. There's been, uh, you know, different movement screens around the world have been taken and bastardized and turned and manipulated and things um so yeah we i know we spent a lot of time working at the olympic committee on on a specific movement screen that we use there um for all of the time that we spent i'm gonna be honest we haven't done any form of movement screening with the hockey this year didn't do it um i'll let you you know lead off a little bit with movement screening and then maybe i'll jump in with how we're using it or not yeah using i it. think the um the controversy you mentioned is about the, the terminology for me. It's about mm. the idea that a lot of people seem to think that we can use it to predict injuries and then prevent injuries. And I think that, that terminology is actually quite, quite dangerous. It sets a, a, a difficult expectation and a somewhat dangerous expectation from the players and the coaches and everyone involved. I think that when we're looking to, to assess athletes, you always have to think about what it is, what is it that you're actually looking for? What's the purpose of doing this? And what information can we get from it? Yeah. So if you're doing a standardized FMS and you're just ticking the boxes and getting a one, two, three score, okay, that's a, that's a system that you can use. Lots of people are using it. But do you understand what those scores represent and what you can do if someone yeah. has a bad score, what that's going to mean to your programming? And um, I think it's really important for you to for you to know and have a system for yourself that works for you. But I think you need to understand that that's not going to prevent an injury. We can't, we can't necessarily prevent injuries. We can reduce the likelihood, perhaps. Yeah. We can look at, um, if we look at muscular imbalances and we look at movement dysfunctions, we can help to, on a positive note, we can actually help to improve their performance by helping them to balance out. Um, but that also needs to be implemented at the right time of the season. I know that one of the constraints you've had is barely any um, any <laughs> any any preseason. Yeah. So you've pretty much come straight in, and it's been competition phase straight away. Yeah. So it's like, well, what are you even? You know, again, it comes into why are you doing it? What information are you getting from it? And what information are you getting from it that you're not going to get from just observing the guys? A hundred percent agree with you. Yeah, absolutely right. You know. We had a we had a training camp with I don't even know fifty five players or something like that. There's myself and a and a physio, great physio, but we did not have the time to do a movement screen, whether it's an FMS or anything else. And you know we're not going to get into bashing the FMS. I think you know part of that problem has been they never said it was about predicting injuries and all this this sort of stuff. I'm not going to get into that, but um, didn't have time and. I didn't, and then like you say, what are you doing with the information? I can go and tickle these boxes, um, 
to see if somebody has an asymmetrical shift when they're doing a back squat, or I can just watch somebody squat and see them. Or, you know, I can, if, if a guy comes to me and says, yeah, I can't really do pull-ups because it hurts my shoulder. And then I'm like, well, what's the situation? He's like, well, I had like, a, you know, surgery in the summer. I don't need to do a movement screen to tell me he's got restricted range of motion. I can see that. So I think definitely for us, we have taken an approach myself and the physio of having conversations, observing guys, and I don't feel like our program is any worse off. I don't think anyone's at any greater risk of injury because we haven't done movement screening. I think that we personalize an individual. Yeah, I agree. And you're working with um, one of our other close friends who's a great physio, and you know he's seeing the players every single day. Mm. And between the two of you, if you're talking about everything that's going on with the players, you're getting input from the players, you know, surely everything that you see in the gym and from what he is telling you from the, the treatment room and what he does with some of the players in terms of corrective exercise yeah. will give you a lot of information about them. Yeah, for sure. He He's great and he does a bunch of stuff with um, guys before, a lot of movement work. He has a group of six or seven of the guys come and do sort of 20, 30 minutes of movement work. He's, like say, hands-on on the table you know, between him and myself and two or three months, if we can't see what's, you know, the major kind of red flags without needing a tick chart, I, we probably shouldn't be working yeah. in elite sport. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Like, I'm I'm still a big fan of movement screens, but again, in the right time and hmm. place, right? We were talking about constraints earlier and how, you know, if you don't have the the, either the time or the, you know, the time and the schedule, the coach's willingness and everything, it's not necessarily going to be possible. You pretty much came in and went straight into the full <laughs> competition schedule. Yeah. I had the same thing again when I was with figure skating the first season, I came straight into competition season. So already everyone's talking about, you know, preparing for a competition in a week's time. And I'm like, right, well, we're not focusing on necessarily corrective exercise. I'm going to gradually tweak your program as we go yeah. so that it, it's individualized around you. And over the course of a couple of years, as we built up towards the Olympics, what it ended up with was very different. I was able to get some screening into the second year, the uh, second season, because I had a full off season. Sure. I had the time there to be able to do it, but I also had to choose. I'm not going to do a big mass movement screen on all the athletes. I did specific tests on specific athletes that gave me baseline measures, basically for things I already knew were wrong with them. So as I, I know that some of the girls were, you know, had weak hamstrings, for example. So I picked a test that would test that, so that we could then do a test retest mm. and kind of help validate some of the training program. Um, I did certain screens on some of the athletes, but again, it was things that I'd already built up a big picture of what was wrong with them, and it was very much more individualized to the to the athlete's needs. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, like you said, we came in, myself and the physio, Fran, we came in, we had 10 days, I think. Uh, we were in two different rinks in those 10 days. One of those rinks didn't have a gym, so we had to spend time building the gym. Uh, we had 50 athletes. Then it was, okay, you fly to Russia, you have a competition in Russia. Then we're flying to Shenzhen, and before you know it, it's our season opener. Like, what the, the time that we're going to invest in a movement screen, how much is that going to benefit us playing that first game versus let's do something else with our time and we'll see the natural, like, naturally, we'll see the problems come up 
as we go with training. So, yeah, that's where I think we're at with it. And I think that's a fair point, which brings us back around to the idea of the, the constraints and, and not judging other coaches if they say they haven't done a movement screen on them. When you hear about you know your start to the season and, and the preparation or lack thereof by um, by by the the organisation and again that comes down to multiple stakeholders and multiple people yeah. trying to trying to make decisions for different reasons. But it's not it was never your choice. Sure. So therefore, you've got huge constraints. Um, likewise, when I was with figure skating, I had huge constraints not being able to have the time um, immediately before the competition phase. Um, and I think it's just very important again to just understand the the motives and rationale and not jump straight into criticizing each other. Try and think about the, the real world constraints and that is the reality of life in the in the elite you know, in elite sport. It's not all perfect. It's not all <laughs> rosy. We don't so get we far. don't have that much control over what we do a lot of the time. Yeah. So um, far from perfect. Yeah. We're actually relatively in, in the grand scheme of things, we're often a small you know, a small part of an athlete's overall day to day. We're a small piece of the coaching puzzle. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes we don't have, have all that control and we have to try and just remember that and balance it out and try and, uh, I think as coaches, we need to try and be more supportive of each other and learn from each other and, you know, try and understand the constraints that other coaches have. Um, yeah. Nice. Nice little positive note to end on, I think. Yeah. I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, I mean, we have so many kind of ideas of, of topics and things we're going to go on and talk about. Like, you know, we're going to bring a bunch of guests on. Um, if anyone does want to reach out and contact us, let's do a little bit of social media plugging. Uh, Simon, what's your social media? Uh, Simon underscore J underscore Taylor is my Instagram account i'm also on linkedin just under my name i guess that's how linkedin works i'm pretty sure yeah i think so. Um, yeah. like i said i don't post a huge amount of of content um but yeah if anyone wants to reach out on either of those platforms i'll happily send a message back yeah nice um i've got instagram and twitter both the same at snne83 snne83 um yeah, like, don't come looking for some profound wisdom in strength coaching. You'll basically see pictures of my cat and uh, coffee shops. Um, but, yeah, I try and I try and reply to messages and stuff. And if there's anyone uh, kind of listening who, who wants to chime into the discussions that we've had or thinks about things to talk about in the future, then feel free to send either of us a message and we'll get back to you. So just leaves me to say uh thanks to simon for a great conversation thanks steve uh thanks for you guys for tuning in and we hope you can join us next time